Welcome to the Calgary Sessions. This is episode number 73. I'm your host, Jeff Humphreys. Today's guest, this is the minute you said yes to be on the show, the show I was like, fuck, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, get out of the way, uh, name and who you are. I can only disappoint now. Um, uh, Jason Ribeiro, uh, Vice Chairman and President of the Calgary Surge Professional Basketball Club. Uh, but above all that, uh, I'm a dad, uh, proud husband, and uh, and a really engaged and active Calgarian in a, in a number of different things. And so I'm honored to to be part of this conversation, um, you know, focused on Calgary and some interesting people in it. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I don't, do, I don't do any research on anybody. And, and even on you, I was like, I don't even know where to begin with you because I feel like it's going to go all over the map. The only thing I know is the pro basketball piece, which is kind of how we, how I kind of got onto you, which mm -hmm. was cool. Um, you've seen a couple of these shows. So the way we start this off, I like the guests to go back as far as they want to go, you know, where they grew up, how they grew up, who inspired you, where your parents fit in, where your family fits in, what you're interested in. And then I'll just drag you along to where we are today and it'll be one of the spectacular podcasts. <laughs> you might need to drag me if I got to go uh, this far back. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, it's great um, to have this kind of vehicle and platform and, and to see so many great people come through here. Uh, you know, sort of, that's why you got the immediate yes. Uh, it wasn't because I did a lot of, you know, digging into, uh, it was more so, Hey, I know this person, this person, good people, great stories and hope I can live up to it. So, you know, my, my story begins in, uh, Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, I was born 89, um, interesting time period, you know, like a lot of eighties spillover into that early nineties period. So a lot of my, musical tastes and influences sort of come from there as the nineties kind yeah. of sorted itself out and, you know, son of immigrants. Um, my dad, uh, grew up in Bombay, India, um, moved to the UK at a pretty young age. Um, you know, blue collar guy, which I, I think was very interesting because his family very much on the academic medicine path his, his father was a surgeon, his brother was a surgeon. He more blue collar likes to work with his hands, you know, got an automotive technician degree. Um, a lot of strikes in the UK, uh, during his younger years and couldn't find work. And so got sponsored to move to Canada. Mm. Uh, my mom was the, uh, daughter of a Portuguese diplomat. Uh, so he was the trade commissioner for Portugal and a number of different countries. So again, you know, odd, odd dynamic where, you know, uh, her father is doing all of these sort of crazy things. Like there's in my grandparents' house, there's this picture of my, uh, maternal grandfather and, and the Pope. And like, come on, just, just craziness. But then again, like there's this, this tale of two cities or these two sides to every coin, you know, her, um, moving to this country quite young, um, at the time, you know, getting an education, especially as a, a younger woman was not a, it was not a given the way it is today and how far we've come where, you know, degree holders are predominantly women. Um, but that wasn't the, the case for her and I think her, her sisters for a large part. And so, you know, working, you know, kind of retail jobs and here and there. And my dad similarly, you know, has that automotive technician's degree from the UK in the Commonwealth, moves to Canada, not worth the paper it's written on. Mm. And so sweeping floors. Um, in Hamilton? In Hamilton and mm. around that area. And um, just both of them, I think, grinded it out individually. Uh, until they met each other through a kind of you know family function um, type of thing, and uh, and got married, um, uh, settled down, uh, had me. Uh, I can't say that I I might not have been planned. I don't know, um, but um, you know had a younger brother two years after, and you know what was interesting was you know growing up 
you know, you know, ethnically ambiguous, if you will, right? I got a Portuguese last name, but, uh, you know, my dad was, was sort of darker skinned. Um, but again, like only spoke English, uh, Catholic and very much fit in with every Italian family around us, <laughs> Croatian family around us, which was predominantly everybody in that area. But there was still something different about us. And that for me as a kid was something very hard to reconcile. And I'm sure for my parents as well, you know, my dad coming to this country, um, you know, being told to sweep floors, but also being discounted in a lot of ways for the way he looked, you know, I think, you know, put a bit of a chip on his shoulder for a long period of time. Uh, same with my mother. Um, you know, you have come from a family that's doing all these aspirational things and then to, to, to be only viewed maybe through the lens of race or the fact that you work a retail entry level job, I think challenged them and put a battery in their back and they became, you know, one of the proudest things I, I have to say is they became very successful in their field. My dad, you know, started sweeping floors at a car dealership to then running the car dealership. No way. Um, and uh, my mother, who stayed at home to, to raise us for a number of years, um, you know, then got involved in the automotive business herself and, you know, won awards and all these kinds of crazy things. And so I think it's the beauty of this country. It's the beauty of hard work, but it comes with a lot of uh, pain. And I think for us growing up, you know, challenging as, as it was outside of the house, it also kind of cannibalizes you from the inside as well. Mm. And so, you know, I look back and I, I sometimes hear some of the stories on, on your pod or in others and everyone's saying this story about like, my dad was my hero and, and my family was this and everything. And I, I don't, I'm, I'm honest, like I don't really have those kinds of memories. And we've, I think, had those conversations about the fact that like, that wasn't our life. It was very sort of isolated, very tense at a lot of moments, a lot of times where, you know, not really safe outside the house, not really safe kind of in the house. Mm -hmm. And, and so a lot of my years kind of start, you know, being in that room by myself, navigating and getting the bends and figuring like, how am I going to get out of this? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's where it starts. And, but you know, love school. Yep. Um, Good at a lot of things, which was great. Um, and and I don't know about you, but like in elementary school, you can do anything. So you're doing art one you know period, then you're playing sports, and then you're doing this and public speaking. But everyone does it. Like that's the weird thing about elementary school is like you have such a, like a homeroom of twenty kids. Everyone's doing all the same activities. And so the fact that you had that diversity of interest, maybe that's a kind of through line to today. I loved it and you then get that competitive instinct in you. It was like, oh, like I can get the highest grades or I can win on the basketball court, on the football field or in mm -hmm. the hockey rink. Um, in this public speaking competition, I can win. And then for us in our family, I very quickly realized that had, that had currency mm. with my folks. So the more awards that I won, mm. the more talent shows and everything mm -hmm. like that, even though the dynamic wasn't right, that kept me in check with them. And so I think, you know, growing up, maybe I'll, this is a good point to pause, was like the incentives were kind of off. I didn't feel as though there was this kind of unconditional, unwavering, and, and maybe there, there still was. Yeah. But not in the way that I think other kids describe with their folks. But I did know at the time how to, you know, the cheat code was as long as I keep these awards coming mm -hmm. through, as we're, long as I win these good. chips, as long as I'm presenting in the right way, we're good. But at the end of the day, you know, that's all showy stuff. You can tell your friends about it, but I'm going back to my room by myself mm. and reading a book, mm. um, putting my head into the boom box and like listening to, you know, Howard Stern too, you know, way too young to be listening to it on the radio. <laughs> um, and, and living kind of in my own world. So it was very, 
it was an interesting looking back on that time. And it, when you're in it, um, you know, you can be very reflective now and kind of like, you know, yeah. break it down and kind of be thoughtful about it. But at the time, there's a lot going on at a young age to be dealing with. Yeah. It's almost like split lives. Oh, huge. That duality of no idea, like has framed so much of my life. Like to this day, like I've, I've got tats on only one side of my body mm. uh, because I've always felt that kind of duality or that this, there's this kind of you know, painful or more darker side to like this, the beautiful, blissful life I'm able to lead um, mm -hmm. now that I've, I've worked really hard to, to get to. But you're right. Like when you're a kid, you can't be that reflective. You just, you just know like why, why, are, why is my dad saying these things to me? Mm. Uh, like the most visceral, like horrible things that I've ever heard to this day sometimes. No way. Yeah. And, and the challenges sometimes of me, I may not be able to come home. Mm. Like I was that kid in in high school where sometimes like i i probably couldn't come home and mm. so i was staying with a girlfriend or staying mm. with a friend um i think and, it was stress i think it was stress in their lives or the or the uh disappointment of coming here and starting at you know starting at the very bottom and restarting and the, that kind of pressure that just and you unfortunately are the house was this outlet yeah i i think i think it's two things one is you're right i think you never if you're dealing with a lot of pain and you don't know how to channel that, it's it's gonna get out somewhere. It may get out at work, it may get out in the home, it's gonna come out and you won't have a governor on you to kind of deal with it. And I think part of that is the time and the era. Um, now I think we're a lot more aware, um, but I think that's part of it. Second thing I think is like, people are predisposed to being parents in different ways. Mm. Some people it's their dream. Some people it's not something they've ever really considered. And so when it happens to you, it's kind of fight or flight. And, you know, you, you put boundaries around what that, that kind of looks like. And so, you know, I think my parents were very involved almost on top of me in a lot of ways and then very distant in, in others. And so, and then all of that gets exacerbated by stress to your point. Um, so I think for, for me, you know, I, I couldn't navigate it at, at, at the time, but I knew it, something wasn't right. Mm. Like I knew in my bones, something wasn't right. Like I was smart enough. I felt to, to, to feel like, Hey, this is for now, and I got to get out of this, yep. and I got to get that space, and and I, and I will like even fast forwarding now, I'll, I'll say much more productive, a lot of space in between, but much more productive uh, relationship. I think they'd be the first to admit that, but I think it comes down to the core of not everyone is predisposed in this way to be a parent. Yeah, it is such a uh, uh, a treasured and and kind of reverent. Um, role that you have to play. And if you don't treat it like that, it will look like everything else in your life. And then the stress comes in and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I've, I've sort of put that at peace. I made peace with that kind of thing. And uh, through a lot of work and counseling and therapy, but, but it set off like a really tough period, especially when those incentives run out. Mm -hmm. So I don't know about you, but like, Dude, I didn't, I didn't win shit. So, yeah. <laughs> so we'll just be clear of that. Yeah, yeah. So I go on, I go on this Kobe-esque run of just like, I'm like the valedictorian. I'm like the. No way. Yeah. yeah. Like oh, I'm you like, did it. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. So like, like well, I don't even know, you know, if there's a lot of merit in being your eighth grade valedictorian, but like winning like our school board had like director's awards and mm -hmm. championships in sport and all this kind of stuff. And then there's that jump to, to high school. Right. And so, and so, you know, one of the points I didn't touch on was you know, while they're on top of you and while there's this, there's this, you know, you know, things aren't going well, there's also this like big level of protection. And that's another form of, I, I think, care. In, in its worst form, it's a form of control. But my parents were very like 
protected. Like I couldn't really go anywhere. Mm. Very isolating. So when I say I was in this room, sometimes I was in this room not by choice. Mm. Like it was just because I couldn't really do anything with anyone. Like they didn't trust, I think, a lot of people around them. I wasn't allowed to trust anything with them. And if I'm coming home and only telling them the most visceral experience of like a you know some racist thing that's happened to me or this kid, you know, sometimes kids are just, you know, shitty to each other. Yeah. They're like, okay, all bets are off. You don't talk to that person. I'm gonna talk to this parent or whatever. And I, I remember, and 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 I think also they liked that element of there being a little bit of a distance. Like I'll tell you a very visceral story. And this maybe, you know, sets off what was about to happen. So there's this kid I could not stand in elementary school. Uh, and I don't think my parents really cared for their parents either. Very keeping up with the Joneses type of situation. And uh and I remember going out and you used to not have a lot of things to do at recess, but one of them at our school was like you would play uh, red ass with a tennis ball. Um, so basically you throw the ball against the wall and if you it comes back and someone else bobbles it or doesn't catch it, you have to run back to the wall, tag up. But until that moment that you've tagged up, someone can throw the ball literally at you. And so, you know, kind of violent to think about because we played with like a lax ball sometimes and it wasn't uh, wasn't as, as comforting as a tennis ball. But um, I remember coming out for recess and I was doing something inside and I came out a little late and someone had to bring the tennis ball. So one time it was me, so one time it was a different kid. But this kid that I didn't, wasn't crazy about and we always, like, like for days, we played this every day. One day this kid is the one who brings the tennis ball. I come outside a little bit late for recess you know, comes off the wall, I grab it, and, and this kid stops everything. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not allowed to play with my ball. I said, you got to be kidding me. I'm here every day. No, no, no. You, it's my ball. You're not playing with it. Not for you. It's mine. And I looked at him, and with, like, such assuredness, I took that ball, and I threw it on the roof of the school. And it just <laughs> shut it down. I shut it right down. And I remember, you know, like, look, 10,000-foot view now parent comes and sits down with you and says, well, listen, I understand that there's going to be things that people do that are mean or unkind, and you can't kind of take matters into your own hands every single time. Um, and put that at least into context. I don't know if I've ever seen my parents more proud of me. Like, like, like you know what I mean? Like, they just like, <laughs> you didn't take it. Uh, maybe I have to buy this ball. I got to buy three balls or whatever for this family. But like, I, I heard them debating this. Like, I was in another room. And they were talking about him, like, good for him. Like, I heard them say, like, good for him. Like, he did this. He stood up for himself. So, so again, like, how do you get any sort of moral code or value from out of that? And that's the most, like, palatable version of one of these stories. There are others. So, you know, high school hits. You've been a little bit isolated from, you know, the, the school experience other than when you're there, which is great. But no one gives me the cheat code for high school. So now it's not you in this class of 70 kids you know, one in each sort of, of uh, you know, one with one teacher, one with another 30. Mm -hmm. It's huge. And now you're in like this thousand person situation. And I didn't know where like to sit or what the rules were. I just figured like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like one of the in kids because I'm doing all these things. Uh, this is just going to repeat. And it d didn't. And the and there's less things to win because it's, it's more, it's not as closed, it's niche. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as that currency kind of ran out, you realize things are fracturing in a really major way. So they're fracturing because you're not enjoying your time at school, um, because you can't throw yourself into everything. Yeah. You choose one or two sports and that's it. Or you choose one club or and no one was there to sort of navigate that. And then at home, 
you have less of these tangible things to keep the fuel going in terms of that, you know, hitting the ball back and forth with that parent. Mm-hmm. They're kind of just wondering why you don't, why aren't you bringing home these, these chips? Why aren't you? And so that was a really kind of, things kind of get off the rails. I can feel myself kind of losing control mm. and you fall in with the wrong crowd. The, the desire to be the same as everybody is really overwhelming, but the same you'll take anywhere. So if it's the if it's the stoner outside of the blockbuster at that time, you'll take it. Yep. If it's the this and and you become this chameleon, but all in the wrong ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think for me, that sort of perspective of you know I, I make this joke with my wife all the time. <laughs> it was a scene in Batman where you know Batman's fighting Bane, and uh, Batman switches off the lights, and uh, Bane goes, "Oh, you think darkness is your friend." <laughs> I was I was born in the dark, molded by like I, I I genuinely talk about that like that duality, that pain or whatever. Um, there's a part of that is like I'm still that kid in that room and by myself, navigating this all on my own. And the moment there were outs that were not as productive, but but allowed me to kind of numb what was going on, I took them. Mm. And and that sort of was a was I think a huge challenge to undo, but but certainly colored. A lot of those high school or early university years, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're kind of like in between groups, you know, you're looking for someone to connect with and trying to like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm gonna try this, I'm gonna try this. Is that is that all of high school? And then you just kind of get out of it, and then you're just, you know, have any sort of plan, or are you just? No, I, I think, I think my parents had grounded me enough to know, like, hey, you're you're not gonna. You, you can't fail to like the degree of failure that 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 they were considering. Like for them, I think like lawyer, doctor, those kinds of things. That was that was the plan. Yeah. Like there's there's one or two options, and and I don't I, like you're talking about two blue collarish people. Like they don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. They just know what it signifies. Mm-hmm. So that's the path. And so I was like, okay, well, I don't. I can do. And by the way, like I'm still treading water but I'm still like above water. Like I'm still above the the yep. sort of line. Like I'm still doing reasonably well on a roll type mm-hmm. of thing. But mm-hmm. it's like, you know, but I got a fake ID at 16. I'm driving to Toronto. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm doing this during, and, and what was worse about it was like, by the time you get to 11th and 12th grade, I had second period with one teacher, lunch, and then fourth period with that same teacher. So whatever I did during lunch, I came back with a fourth period and he knew, right? <laughs> so like it, it was, there was no hiding it or escaping it. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it was like this, it was still experimenting because mm. you still don't, and you still don't fit in in any of those groups. Yeah. You're, you're a traveler. And I, I, I found a friend that was kind of in the same place and we just kind of did, did our own thing. But mm. again, like, you know, sometimes pretty dangerous situations. Yeah. Um, and so I knew I was getting into university. I was kind of given only one option because Mac was, McMaster was 20 minutes uh, drive from my house. Um, so the the idea of me going away made no sense, um, wasn't really an option. Um, so I got in and then the goal was do anything that I can stomach because right now I'm like not in a good place. Mm. But, you know, to, to, to fast forward at least to like what threads or through lines existed today, I remember I, I so I'm commuting to Mac. Um, I did live there for a year, but, but prior to then I was commuting. Were you working? Were you working in like, yeah, I, I was, um, I was a, a waiter and a bartender. Okay. Yeah. I know there's a lot of bartender, former bartenders on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's not a great, that's, that's a, that's a good 
and a bad influence at the same time for well, what I have going on. Yeah, especially especially when you're when you're willing to go down those paths and you like you work in those environments, just like a playground. You, you can't say no. Yeah. Right. And so, and 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 that was I think by design as well. Um, uh, that I found a thing to do to earn a little scratch, but like the hours are long. Um, you know, there's a lot of breaks in between that you can get up to no good. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of things going on in a, mm-hmm. in a bar like environment. So mm-hmm. you, you can get away with more. Yep. Um, and there's, yeah, just lots of things that are, are flashpoints that like, I try and not even think about. It's just like, Oh my God, so embarrassing. I was even involved. This was, I'm working. Um, but yeah, like, so that's, that's in the background, but then I go to university and it's the first year, the first year of university is the year that Barack Obama is running for president. And I remember being, even in Hamilton, Ontario, mm-hmm. being very, like, I, I would see his posters, like, in those, uh, those like four color ones? ones. Yeah, the yeah. hope ones, yeah, yeah. like in our university. And I'd always, even as a kid, been very fascinated by a good speech, by a good leader, like mm-hmm. that, that ability, I think it was control, like the ability for these presidents or these people that I'm looking at in, in a position of authority to make a decision. And these are 50-50 calls, but we trust them enough to make the decision. And, and here is like me and my most untrustworthy point. I still had that appeal of being like trustworthy and seen as that and someone who could rally people mm. behind. Um, and so I, I have that in the background. There's it's a, this tease. There's a lot going on. Lots. For years. Lots. Yeah. And and it's all blending together, right? Mm. And so, you know, but you're not making sense of any of these things. You just have these influences, even like... In my peer group, you know, very, you know, hyper-masculine group, sports, athletes, et cetera. But my interests deviate a little bit. Like I remember in Mac taking like art history courses and I was one of the only men in the in in the group. I, I remember, you know, the music. I, I I would listen to Sinatra like all the time. Okay. And and it was very like loving Ira Gershwin sort of songs and like being like called out about that in a lot of ways, but, but feeling confident enough to like keep these pieces of myself. So I didn't lose the entirety of it, mm-hmm. but still like, that's another caveat of like, Oh, he's not one of the boys you know, mm-hmm. type of thing. So I go through this period where my first year university, I'm barely showing up up to no good. Uh, I think I got on academic probation to even get into my second year. Mm-hmm. I, you know, managed to, to get a number of, like courses that I didn't even write the exam for canceled from my, from my, my record to allow me to go into my second year and third year. And I just grinded out. And one of the things that's like saved me in a way was I, I got hired at this, um, this camp and I was working with kids and it was a sports fitness school. It was really, you know, um, uh, high athletic performance school, but still like accessible. And I was working with um, kids of all ages and all backgrounds. And it, it, it put a little bit of a governor on me, not a total one, but a bit. And I'm still bartending, doing all that stuff. But I remember thinking, whoa, maybe teaching is the thing that that's going to be the thing that I do after this. Maybe it's not law. Maybe it's teaching. Mm. And maybe, and then, and then, but I still have that battery in my back of, oh, but like, are you just going to be a teacher? Are you going to be a principal? Are you going to be a superintendent? Like there's that, those trophies, yeah, 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 right? Yep. Yeah. So I'm like, but I could, I could see that. So I'm going to do that. And so I grind it out. I somehow get out of those years at, at Mac intact. Um, and I'm like, I'm going to Toronto because I'm there literally 80% of the time anyways. And uh, and I get in and I pack up my bags and go to Toronto. And that's how I found myself there. Um, what did you graduate with? 
So I graduated with the two things that I could only stomach doing at the time, which were a major in honors history, uh, because I was fascinated by change. I was fascinated by change over time. And I think there was a little bit of that politics bent to it, the the war, the the history of decisions. And, and I took everything, Canadian history, but also like the history of labor unions, like the labor of work, um, the, the, the history of um, uh, indigenous Canadian relations. Like I, I was taking these very, very early on. And then I coupled it with a minor in religious studies because I had these pretty philosophical existential questions. And I think as things are spiraling around you, it mm -hmm. sometimes forces you to think about that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I could do that. Um, uh, and it's, at its most transactional, I was like, okay, I was raised Catholic, not practicing. Uh, but if I ever taught in a Catholic school, I could say I did a religious studies degree. Um, <laughs> but I took like skepticism, uh, and, uh, atheism. I took death and dying. I took divine female God. Like I took everything. So mm. even still, like there's this through line of me saying like, I'm not just going to do one thing. I will expose myself to everything that I think has carried through. Um, because I knew people who took like, you know, the very bulk linear courses in yeah. their degree. And I was like going all over the place because I wanted the fulsomeness of, of that and the parallels that I could see, even at the most diverse points, I think were been hugely advantageous for me today. Uh, so those are the two things that, uh, I took into teacher's college mm. when I moved to Toronto. Um, it just sounds like a, like a tormented time. It maybe not like torment might be a big word, but like just balancing it all. You know, like, yeah, it, it was, um, and like, uh, lucky to be out of it, to come out, like you said, unscathed, like, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, it's, you go back, especially now with like head on straight, um, you go, you try not even look back because then you have to like, look mm -hmm. at these micro level decisions mm -hmm. that you made and people that you hurt or people that you might've hurt. Um, uh, and and the, the 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 torture that you gave to yourself and put yourself through, um, and it's hard to reconcile. And the only thing that's helped me sort of viewed in a healthy way is just hearing so many stories, even in this own community, in our own community in Calgary and Alberta, those struggling with addiction um, to this day. That you know this this is a very it's hard to see outside yourself yep. and i wasn't a, someone who took a lot of solace in saying oh well there's someone else going through it too but i do now it gives me a little bit more uh, a heck of a lot more i should say empathy for what's going on and saying like there's got to be more productive ways or 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 cultural ways that we reach people before it's too late because yeah like the, the, there's another version of this story that's a 100% yeah, tragic totally. tale yeah 100% yeah and so I actually, when I get into teacher's college, I get sort of, you this know. in I, Toronto. In Toronto. Okay. So I've moved, I've moved the boys uh, who are all doing different things in Toronto. We all kind of moved at the same time. Where'd you live in Toronto? So I lived at, so the first place that I lived was in the financial district just off King Street East. And it was one buddy and me looking for our place because he was already, he had already beat me there. He was already living there. So I was living in a walk-in closet. And it was, it was so awful because it was a space like from the living room where you had to walk through the walk-in closet to get to his bedroom. And <laughs> so like, it was just like- Was it glass doors? Like it was like- No, like it was, it was sliding doors, okay. but at least I had that going for me. It was some realm of privacy. And we're like, hey, this is a month. We're going to find our own place. And so a month goes by, he's dragging his heels and I'm just like, I got to get out of the situation. So another buddy of mine says, hey, get out of that situation. Come with me. 
I'm living in this place, not as great of an area, but couch it for a little bit. And so I'm on the couch there, but I'm, I'm prepared to get my head on straight. Like this is the first time that I'm like, okay, you have this chance. I didn't think I was going to get into to teacher's college. Yep. And I'm a, and I'm a, I know I'm a bright guy, but I, the damage was done. Mm -hmm. Like I was not finishing my exams. I'm on academic probation. Mm -hmm. Like, like my buddy and I went, we were right preparing for an exam in the library. And the first tattoo I ever got was like, now nah, we're going to cancel this course. And I walked out and got a tattoo. Like it was, You're... it was so like flippant and yeah. visceral. Um, and so now I come in first day, I got the tie on, I got the, the, the shirt on. Everyone else is kind of in sweatpants and whatever. And I instantly know like, oh, this is not going to be the like sort of competitive structure or like, you know, put a battery in your back moment for me. This is going to kind of be more the same. And I remember very early on, one of the supervisors of the program took me aside and said, you will need to go do a master's. And I said, why? She's like, the questions you're asking mm. and how you're approaching this opportunity will not be how others look at that. And that's not neither good nor bad. But I just know that I don't want you to walk out of this thinking like there's nothing else that's going to get your gears going. And I took that away. But it, it's, you know, for the next year, I was like, okay, this is not going to really do it for me. I love yep. teaching. I love being in with the students. I love coaching. But I just knew it was not going to be like this professional moment for me in Toronto as a big boy. Um, and so that space, that vacuum, again, accumulates with with not so great things. So I'm couching it. I said, I got to get off this couch now. I'm up. And I found a place, I swear to God, everything's coming back to tattoos. Um, so 550 Massey Street, it's off of Bloor and Ted Rogers, which is Jarvis, where the Rogers headquarters is in Toronto. And it's this old apartment and it's a studio, 860 bucks a month, but it's only available December 1. And it's now like September-ish because I started in August. And I said, I'm going to commit to living on this couch for three months to, to, to see, because I cannot compromise. I want to live alone. I want to live in that location, which is insane for that price. I'm willing to rough it out. So I waited, slept three on months. the couch, three months on a couch every day up to no good and got through that um, to this place. And it was, my unit was 601 and um, it was the first uh, place that my uh, partner at the time and now wife um, she moved in. She was no four way. years my junior. She was at Western and it was the summertime and she was like, Hey, I'm going to move in with you. And we, that was like our first place, like young and in love in Toronto. And still like, again, like the most visceral form of young love, like not all sort of rainbows, but I remember. Um, and so I got the numbers of that apartment. It was, it's, it's 601 was the unit number, but the six had been knocked off because the screw was loose. So six is like this. And I tattooed it like that um, on my best 601. Why? Like, you know, everyone, everyone has memories. Yeah. <clears throat> that one. To, you know, to take it to that level, to get a tattoo of this number, like, what was it? Was it this, is this the swing point when things yes. started to change? Yeah, 100%. And I didn't want to forget it. And I remember, so I, I get through teacher's college. I take my supervisor's advice. Like, you, you should go do a master's. I apply to go do my master's uh, in a couple places and I get in. Hmm. Um, but in a master's in this context, in, in education, you can do a course-based master's, which means that you just do your courses and at the end of the courses, you get a master's. Um, in a lot of other disciplines, when you do a master's, you do research, you write a thesis um, and uh, that enables you to do, go do a PhD in research as well after. They won't take you if you've just done a course-based master's. 
but course based sounded easier. So I'm like, I'm just going to do the course based, I'll get a master's and then maybe I'm a principal or something. And I remember sitting out uh, or standing over my balcony. My balcony looked over almost like the entire city. And I looked at myself in a kind of very self-loathing um, kind of mood. And I said, you know, you're 23, 24 years old and you've never actually pushed yourself to into a position where you may fail. You've pushed yourself into a bunch of dangerous situations. You've pushed yourself out of your comfort zone in a lot of negative ways, but you've never actually taken a risk. You've always just done the bare minimum knowing that whatever natural gifts you have or talent will save the day. And I remember I, I um, left the balcony. Uh, I called Brock who had admitted me and I said, and it was probably a month before I was about to go do, start my master's. And I said to them, is there any way you would consider me for a thesis and not uh, the course-based master's? Uh, because I, I want to push myself and maybe one day I'll do a PhD. And the person said, I'll get back to you. They re-reviewed everything and I filed a new application and they called me and they said, we're happy to admit you, give you a scholarship. And uh, for the first time, I'd introduced a little bit of wiggle where I'm like, I may fail. Mm. This is terrifying. I'm not doing the minimum more. I have to like lock in. That was the that switch. Was and I, I came to that decision in that apartment. Mm. So the 601 on my back is not just because of all the, you know, uh, craziness that, it, that in, you know, involved being in Toronto at that point of time. It was also because that was a decision marking, decision making um, a point that I did not want to forget. Mm. And, um, and I didn't want to forget where I was when I did that. Um, and that kicked off, you know, meeting this incredible mentor that I have at Brock takes me under her wing. And again, now I'm like reconciling and reconnecting with that part of me that I haven't, you know, been in touch with since I was a kid, which is, you know, even though that was the currency with my parents winning all the awards, et cetera, research is kind of like that. Like research is all competitive funding. Research is all awards. Research is all performance. You even talk to professors today you know, they may come off, you know, sort of very, you know, wonkish and, but their whole job is based on being the best in the country or in the nation or in the world in accruing competitive funding and winning awards, et cetera. So I had this opportunity on my own terms to like reconnect with this kid and not for my parents in this kind of context, but for myself. And maybe I, I sort of found myself being like, well, maybe you are still that kid in the room that wants to compete, that wants to perform. And maybe it's not for anyone else. Maybe this is your kind of Kobe Bryant ultra competitive moment. And now, even though there was the stop and start in Toronto that you thought it would be in teacher's college, maybe this is it. And I hit that. I hit that hard. How do you, um, <clears throat> at what point in your life have you been able to like reflect on all this and like, like you got this lasered, like this is like a, I don't know how much work it's taking you to get here, but you're like lasered, laser focused in a way to explain this, which is just, it's, um, or is that impactful and it's just like, it's forever etched? I think it's forever etched. Like, <clears throat> you know, people don't mention this, right? But when you're in the cycle of, of addiction and you're also like dealing with all of these insecurities, whether they be warranted or not, based on race, based on fitting in, based on teenage angst, whatever you call it, that toxic kind of cocktail also, you know, you know forget about any purpose that's driving that. It also makes you a liar. Mm it also makes you fundamentally dishonest. It also means that you're constantly, again, at its most sort of innocuous, living up, keeping up with the Joneses type of like, hey, I wanna show myself in this particular way. At its worst, you create this kind of duality where there's this character and this character kind of consumes 
who you are or you don't know who you are. Mm. And those years that I've talked about, I don't know that guy. Like mm. that is the, mm. that's the duality. That's the, that's the, that is the concoction that came from all of that time period. And so maybe the laser focus in it is, you know, certainly I've gone through, you know, counseling and I'm, I'm indebted like so many others are to the fact that we have services available to go through this. And I encourage anyone who's, who's going through those challenges or even as a parent, has a kid, like these things, you know, they weren't as, you know, light bulb for me, like they totally helped. I know they didn't hurt. Mm. I know that they didn't hurt. I know talking about it, saying it out loud to someone who didn't have skin in the game, wasn't, you know, motivated by something, wasn't too close to the situation, helped. Mm. And so maybe that's part of it. But otherwise, it's because it's just this like dose of honesty that gets put into you. And you're able to sort of look back with laser focus and say, I know I did this because of this. I can reflect on these choices now because here I am now and I'm at peace. Mm. So I, I, it's not practice, certainly, but I think it's it's very like right under the skin uh, accessible to me for sure. It's got to be comforting for you now. Yeah. Just to like, just, just like, you just, you just did that. I was like, I can see it coming off your shoulders. Like, yeah. ah. Yeah. It's, um, and you have no idea, like for people who are mired in this, how much more of you, like people ask, like, you know, that moment, right? So I'm, I'm at Brock now. I'm, I'm killing this. Like I'm laser focused. I'm mm -hmm. all in it, but I still got some of the bad habits. I've written off some of them, but they're still looming. And at a certain point now that the dichotomy exists, now finally I've got this amazing mentor who is seeing me for like the fullness of me, trying to encourage me to do other things, putting me in positions to win, this sort of unconditional support that I've never really had. And then I still have some of these challenges where, you know, I'm, you know, the bottle of Johnny Walker is still in the car or I'm you know, writing this essay and, you know, I'm not you know totally in it um, while I'm doing it. And at a certain point after a year of that, I remember it was a very sort of, again, you talk about moments, another tattoo. I've got uh, the word <laughs> moments on my ribs um, because I've always been fascinated with that word. And maybe it's the history side that I talked about change, mm -hmm. like changes in history is a study of these decision points. Change is a study of these moments. And I always wanted to be open to these moments. And at any point, I knew things could change. Like you talk about, you know, some of the things I, I rid off. So I was a you know, very young age. I was smoking cigarettes. Uh, Belmont. Uh, and uh, <laughs> charcoal filter. Um, I, I was convinced like the charcoal filter made a difference, right? It's going to save yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, meanwhile, the most expensive, especially in Ontario, that, that I'm buying <laughs> So I'm, I said to myself, I'm going to smoke until it doesn't make sense anymore. But, you know, everyone says that. And I remember I was at the Jay-Z, Kanye West, Watch the Throne tour. And I've got all these tickets. My whole crew is going. And uh, my, my partner at the time, you know, at, at ACC, uh, now Scotiabank, um, you know, you get fined if you, I know this from experience, you get fined if you smoke indoors. So you get enough of those fines. You say, I'm not going to smoke indoors anymore. So I, I remember I'd, I'd have to have two cigarettes. It doesn't matter if I'm going to a Jays game, Raptors game, I have to have two cigarettes before I'm going in. And then that'll tide me over or I'll go out in an intermission. This one, I knew I wasn't going to leave the, the, the concert. So it's snowing, it's freezing. I've got all the tickets in my pocket and everyone's lined up, like kind of ready to go. And I said, Hey, hey hold on please. 
I've got to have my two darts. <laughs> Come on. So I, I undo the packaging and I'm, I'm looking at this whole crew of like eight people who are relying on me that is, they're shivering, waiting. I see this, this girlfriend of mine at the time like completely shivering and like dutifully like waiting with me. And new pack, take one hit and like everything that was all in the ether just became one. And that drag hit me the wrong way, uh, mentally. Tossed the butt, threw out the pack, never had a cigarette again. No way. So I was always open to change and signifying in moments. And I probably had the tattoo, I think, even before that moment. But I, I've consciously been aware of that. And so talk about another moment. I'm at this conference with my supervisor. And, you know, this is a world that I don't know. So they've got like these, you know, world-renowned chefs there. There's all these people. And there's this one woman who's coming from the United States, this big, you know, international title. I don't even remember it. And my supervisor is introducing me to her. And she's from Nashville. And she, my supervisor is such a wonderful person. She, she made such an innocuous comment. And my supervisor has seen me enough to know, like, when we go to these conferences, I'm always in control. I'm always professional. But I'm throwing them back. Um, and she, she introduces me to this woman and said, hey, this is the president of so-and-so. This is my graduate student. Uh, you're going to love him. He really knows how to throw them back. And I remember it was such an innocuous comment. And the person from Nashville loved it. Mm -hmm. I was mortified that... I'm winning all these awards. Like I'm doing all this amazing work. I want to be known not as this like degenerate guy, not as this character, not as this, the worst sort of things that I could say about myself because I'm my biggest critic. That's how I was introduced in that context. And she didn't even know that yeah. like, it was such an innocuous thing. And I remember leaving that conference. I remember thinking about it for like a day or two. And I, I took my partner aside, my now wife, and I took her out to, to dinner in Toronto. And I said, I think I want to stop drinking. And I, I had not sort of prepared her for that moment. And she had seen me navigate through this. Mm -hmm. um, very supportive. Um, and uh, a day later, I stopped. Wow. And it's now eight, nine years later. Crazy. Crazy. Moments. And so I, it was a moment. And so I've been always open to the moment. Now these very visceral, challenging moments have given way to amazing moments. So everyone talks to me about like how troubling that must have been or how challenging it was. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever done. Mm. I've never reconciled it or, or, or had to go back and sort of reconcile that decision. It's been beautiful. The weight has lifted sort of off of my shoulders. Um, it's come with these kinds of challenges sometimes because now you have to sort of learn how to live kind of without it. And there's a physical sort of challenge that you go through in the most immediate term. But anything that you see me doing, impossible impossible without making that decision hmm. um and certainly with the support of my wife and and great people it just like it's one of those your story's just getting going right at, at how young you are and where you're actually going and like yeah it's it's gonna just it's just gonna get crazier isn't it like oh. that one moment is like you said it's it's gonna allow you to pull off everything that you want to yeah, and you don't even know what that is still, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I so fast forward. So I finish up that masters, you know, win all the awards at uh, it was actually like an like you were really like you were that dialed that you were Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once like, so once you're all in on something, you in, you you perform at a high high level. In. I I can't I can't see it any other way, but also it's not about me, right? So like I talk about those influences of seeing Barack on a mm -hmm. university campus. This, this commitment to something bigger than myself. I didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what service was. I didn't know about being a community member. All I knew was 
you know, when I was coaching some of these kids, I felt good, but my life wasn't in order. So it was, it was this, you know, dichotomy that I couldn't reconcile. And the kids that I coached predominantly were the kids with special needs. Um, the kids that had been knocked around or hadn't been given a leg up or you needed a, a, a heavy amount of discipline to coach. And so I'd been given, and even the things that I was doing in my master's, I was still giving back and sitting on committees and volunteering. Like I fell in love with community hmm. and, and maybe that's the obsessive, you know, addictive personality and it may be just geared that way, but I would rather that be the infectious obsessive thing that I have than any of the other things I was up to for before. So you find purpose in that. And so, yeah, I'm dialed in from a performance side. I'm competitive, but I knew at the end of it wasn't, oh, Jason wins all these awards or Jason gets all this funding and look how great Jason is. It was, no, no, that allows me to do more things of mm. impact for things beyond myself. Um, and so, yeah, like it, it was, I remember at, uh, at my graduation <laughs> at, for my master's, it was like, it was like ludicrous. Like they had to like... Um, uh, at convocation, they read out your name and then they read out if you've won any like awards. And so they like said my name and like the person in front of me, and I have this on video, they say like, you know, Jason Ribeiro, uh, uh, graduating with this degree. And the person started to walk in front of me as if like the, the statement was over. And then it was like this litany of like all these awards. <laughs> also the recipient of this and this and this. And, and then the person was just kind of like in limbo, like, oh, I shouldn't move. No man's land. No man's land. Uh, and, and I'm just sitting there kind of like head down, like this is embarrassing. But then I'm like, okay, battery in my back to do the PhD, to be undeniable. Wow. Um, uh, again, something I didn't think that was even open to me. That's how I moved to Calgary. Um, I was loving life in Toronto, still commuting back and forth from Brock to, to, to Toronto and St. Catharines to Toronto. Yeah. Um, but there was a supervisor again, you know, brilliant guy had, had been very successful in business, but you talk about change, you talk about moments, you know, really successful in the energy business, hung it up at a certain point, became a teacher, became a principal, became a superintendent, now works at the intersection of technology and major technology investments and education. And there's only one of those guys in the country. And I said, I'll move across the country for that guy. Mm. And moved here 2015, right as the bottom fell out, by myself, didn't know a single person. I knew a friend of a friend who used to live in our student house the one year I lived at Mac. Um, and he helped me move in. And I was a grateful Calgary Place Apartments uh, right near uh, the C train. And sight unseen, got the apartment, IKEA furniture everywhere. and And I just said like, listen, I'm just going to run this however it needs to be. Like, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what the end goal is. I was consulting a little bit. Uh, so I was on a plane a lot. And again, that was a new exciting mm -hmm. thing for me. But I, again, had no, like, I'm going to finish my PhD. I had this sort of very bullish idea that like I was going to finish it in four years. I'm coming up on year seven now. Um, <laughs> but at the tail end, I'm knocking on wood right now. I have a feeling yeah. you'll get there. Yeah. But... It was because all of these beautiful things happened uh, in between. So community sort of wraps its arms around me. Mm -hmm. 2016 moment was for me seeing what was happening in the United States um, and then feeling the responsibility of saying like, hey, there's a very ugly side of politics that is coming up and it's going to impact all forms of community. You're now in these rooms internationally was doing like this diplomatic work. I was like consulting with all these major institutions. I'm doing my PhD. And I'm like, what responsibility do you bear to, to, to sort of ameliorate some of these concerns? What responsibility do you, as someone who sees this coming, have to get involved and contribute to society? Because my goal was always to move back to Toronto. Hmm. 
And the community started to embrace me to the point where I started to see all four corners and was like, whoa, there's something, something special here. Like it didn't, I didn't, my daddy's name didn't mean anything back in Ontario. Certainly didn't mean anything here. But the willingness for people to have this coffee or sit down for this conversation or hear your story or you hear theirs, unbelievable. Mm. And so I said, I remember to my, my partner, we were in this long distance relationship. She was finishing her master's at Western. I said, I'm, gonna, I'm staying. I'm here. Convinced her to do her PhD out here. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, the embarrassing part is that my wife started her PhD after me. <laughs> And has finished before me. Uh, so I, I'm i very proud spouse, but also very dejected competitor. Keeps it going. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, certainly I think I'm in awe of her uh, because she's she's done a lot of um, really great, amazing uh, work. But uh, That's a big yeah. ask. Yeah. For, you 100%. Know, and I'm sure she didn't know Calgary, didn't really like... Zero. Yeah. You're talking about the most family-oriented, close-to-home person. Mm. And her and my relationship having evolved to um over years like seeing me through a pretty dark mm -hmm. time um and to have the trust to say i'm not just going to put my sort of faith in this individual as a, as a partner i'm going to put my career trajectory because she could have gone to ontario and there, maybe depending on her program schools that were better positioned for her yep. like i'll always be indebted to her for doing that um but also for seeing like there was something weird that was happening with me in the city. Like I didn't, I didn't know mm, what it was. Like mm. I was finding myself in like broadcasting, like on, on television, like things that I just like, never. How? Thought. Like what, what you were just, you know, a talented, obviously. Cause you get that. That's like, that gets you into, into sure. places. Just, just in the right circles, right time, right place. Like you just, yeah. Or you were just moving through the world in such a way that you were just creating opportunities. I, I think part of it was the city. Like the, the city puts you in positions and mm -hmm. the city puts you in, if you embrace community uh, relationships, like how you've, you built this platform, you'll find yourself in these things. I yep. think that, that was number one. Number two, I think people appreciated the fact that here was someone who was so community minded, but hadn't been here for a decade and mm -hmm. came with a lot of baggage. Mm -hmm. Like no one knew me. Mm -hmm. So I just come to these room and I'd have very like passionate advocacy positions on particular things. And people would say, Hey, you should come join this committee or come join this board. Or like people were super welcoming that way. And I'm sure they, they are to a lot of people and people just don't walk through that door once yeah. it's opened. Yeah. And I was like committed to walking through it. I said, yes, probably more often than I should, but I, but I said yes. And so, yeah, that was the, the another thing. It was like, okay, so there's, you know, political commentary of public affairs. I was, I was sort of advocating for positions on community, but you know, think about who forms the makeup of a political commentator. It's one, it's either a professor, which again has a very specific kind of commentary that may resonate with some may not resonate with others Two, someone who's in the, in, in the employ of a political party. So they're wearing their stripes quite viscerally. Um, or third, it's someone who has worked for a political party and is no longer. So, I was someone who like had none of that. Yeah, it's like off the board. Off the board. And I just studied, like I mentioned, like 2016, what was happening with with Trump and what was happening in the United States and the fragmenting of, of, of society and community and geopolitically how things were changing. And I was doing all this diplomatic things. So I had enough of the jets and just a keen interest in politics to the point where um, people said, like, just give this guy a shot. Um, and I think from there, I just sort of made the most of the opportunity. I said, like, hey, I'm going to come correct. I'm going to research my positions, uh, which frankly, a lot of people don't do. Um, but also I'm going to be disciplined enough to say like, I care about the person that's on the other end of the television screen or on the other end of the radio in their car. I'm not here. So you buy into me. 
And I think that's a very different thing when you think about like this mm. hot take world we're in. You get personalities that are built off of giving you their hot take. And the more incendiary, the more, you know, sort of boisterous that position is, uh, the more clicks you get, the more engagement you get, the more likes you get. And you build a brand off of that. I already had like other things going on. So I said my role in doing that commentary and broadcasting side was I just need to give you the straight goods as best as I can see them. Mm. Like not in some weird, like I'm going to call it down the middle way. I'm not going to veer too left, veer too right. I'm just going to give you my opinion. You're either going to like it or you're not. Mm. But I will not compromise the fact that I care about the average person who's not, you know, uh, paying attention to all of this nonsense. And I think that's another differentiating factor. I stay away from all of these, like these people like that. Like, I don't even know these guys like that. And I think a lot of people are like, really into like talking to people and being in the inner circle and getting yep. tips and, you know, uh, hot take news. And I just, I, I care about the average person and how they're viewing it. They don't care about that inside stuff. Mm -hmm. They care. How does this impact my family? And so I think that perspective also positioned me a lot differently than who was in the mix at the time. So there's that. Um, I'm doing a lot of board work um, with causes that I, I care about. And again, like... All in Calgary. All in Calgary. Like it happened. Specifically. It happened quick, right? Super quick. Mm. Um, and and again, like it's 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 a point of of pride. Like I, I come in, I'm probably the youngest person in the, in, in the room, but it's also, again, not about me. Mm -hmm. The goal for me is to socialize that, hey, you think that like that I'm this special? There are a bunch of other 30-something-year-olds, et cetera, that can add value here. And if I do my job well, it'll make it so much easier for that next person and that next person. And I've seen mm. the organizations I've been involved with evolve just based on the pressure I put on myself to be able to yeah. deliver. Um, and I think that's that's what's always kept this in check for me is I'll, I'll work like an animal. Like I'll, I'll go push myself to the limits but I know that if I hit this right, mm -hmm. it will make it so much easier mm. for this next person. And the network that I have, some of the guys that you know and the gals that you know, they're great people. Yeah. They're amazing people. And sometimes they're not in the rooms that I'm in. And if I can play a role in sort of making that connection point, I better come correct and do my job. Because mm -hmm. if I mess this up, mm -hmm. believe me, it's going to be harder for that other person to have a shot. So I think walking into the rooms, making the most of the opportunities, I think watching. Yeah. And listening, I'm not as good at sometimes asking questions. And, and I've come to terms with that. You know, there's I've read books, like a more beautiful question, like all these kinds of things, because that's as a board director you got to do, but also as a really curious person. But I've realized like, yes, I may not ask a lot of questions, but it's because I'm watching so often mm. and watching and observing in a way that most other people are not also allows you to answer questions yep. for yourself. So that's all happening. Um, PhD humming along, uh, and then I took an executive role with Calgary Economic Development um, right before uh, the pandemic to lead our economic strategy. And so you're seeing all of these different things, but at the core of it, you go down because I, I get this question all the time: How do you do all the? How, how do all these things fit together? And I'm like, every single one of them has Calgary. Mm. Every single one. The commentary. My position is Calgary. Whatever Calgary needs to be better and win, that's the position I'm going to articulate. Like, that's the vantage point I'm going to view these decisions with. Every community board that I'm on, big organizational board I'm on, Calgary's at the core of that. There is a Calgary component to Sport Calgary or the Alberta Motor Association or Education Matters, the Charity Trust of the CBE. There's at the core of that. Um, Calgary Economic Development, you know, the, this was a really tenuous point in our city's economy coming out of a challenging 2015, 2016 economic diversification was on the line. And I said, I'm going to step up for two years and take on this executive role because it mattered. Mm. And um, Calgary is very viscerally at the core of it all the way to now. 
you know, pro basketball, um, it's Calgary's at the core of it. Right. So I, it's so bait. Like, it's like this. Yeah. Uh, it's the only, and, and that's a really amazing privilege. A lot of people who get up, go to work or, or, you know, engage in particular causes. And there isn't that level of, of clarity or line of sight or through line. Mm-hmm. And so I, I get it overtly. It might look a little bit messy, but like, if you look at it that simply, it's like, Everything has Calgary and the betterment of the yeah. city for it. And I feel such a rarefied, you know, bliss because of that. It's yeah. so, um, I've said, I'd said earlier, just the short amount of time you've been here. Like you've been like all in head first, like deep into Calgary quickly. And these decisions like get on boards and be part of these groups that, that, that are focused on community. Was it calculated or was it just like, no, I, I need to be, I need to, I want to be a part of this. And this is, this is my this is the way I'm going to go about it. Yeah. I think you can't be calculated with what you don't know is possible. Right. Mm. So the idea that I'm, I'm in these circles or I'm in these groups or I'm on television and radio, like a, you, you can't calculate, you can't say I want to be on TV. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. You cannot even fathom that, especially now knowing how I grew up Yeah, where there are situations where like, again, one wrong move yeah. and I'm not there, or I, I probably wouldn't have even put myself in a position so front facing because I had all this stuff going on behind the scenes. Yeah, this thing's like lurking back there. Right. So so I couldn't do that. So again, like this is unfathomable. Mm-hmm. So there's there's no calculus, there's no strategy to it. But again, this is the clarity that comes with being purposeful. Mm-hmm. Like Calgary's, the city's health and strength and vibrancy and culture is such a motivator for me that maybe it provides that level of clarity that when I, I do say yes to something, yeah. um, I know whether it's a fit right off the bat or mm-hmm. not. Um, but, but I think as well too, it's also about the fact like this is how the city works. And I tell people all the time, you come here, we're we're doing it now with, with players that we're signing on the, on the basketball side. It's like, yeah, this may be a blip for you. You may come here into Calgary, uh, and you may go another place. You may go back to Europe to play, et cetera. But every person may say this about their city, something different here. Mm -hmm. So if you look at this through the lens of, hey, I'm going to get really ingrained for the few months that I'm here in community or I'm going to foster some relationships that again, like with most people, people put you into those relationships. They say, hey, have coffee with this person. Mm -hmm. They do this. Other cities don't work like that. Mm -hmm. It's not a given. Like I saw Connor say that on the pod earlier. Like it's, 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 it's special. So as much again as this has happened very quickly for me, I can assure you not calculated, but also such a beautiful reflection of 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 the city that mm-hmm. if you want to hit it hard, hit it hard here. And for every one of my sort of story, there's an entrepreneur that's gone from zero to you know hundred million dollars. There's a there's a, a person who's done a breakthrough in in medical science or in one of our universities. This story, even though this is a very public facing one, these stories happen all yeah. the time. And I think it's such a great beautiful indicator of of the city's strength. So I agree. I want you to wander down the pro basketball path. Because yeah. this one is like, yeah, this is, and I'm like, I'm a sports guy <laughs> through yeah. and through. So I think, yeah, I want to, I want to know how the hell you yeah. came up with this and what's going on. So big sports guy, obviously I'm a big sports fan. Um, you know, again, unfathomable to think of being, Dude, you know, it, it can't even be, no, not in the, not no. in any realm. No, no. Like again, like think of, think about the most commensurate example. So the least accessible examples are the billionaires who own teams, right? The more accessible, but still billionaire that owns it is Jay-Z, right? So it's the most visceral, you know, minority stake in the Brooklyn Nets. I didn't, I don't even think he has now. That's the only point of reference you really have. 
uh, growing up. So this is not in the, this is not even in the background of my mind, not even thinking about this. So I, I, you know, we go through the pandemic, um, and a lot of things, moments happen for, for me. So, you know, leading this economic strategy with an, an amazing, amazing team that we were able to build, you know, help see Calgary's economy in a really small way, businesses, big and small and large, whatever, through that, supporting them, helping them as best as we could, while also defining, a, you know, what the rebound might look like. And then I find out we're going to have our first child. And for me, knowing how I grew up, I was one of these guys that didn't really think I was made for kids. Mm. I, I saw this nightmare scenario where I repeated yep. some of those same exact things. And it was my wife and I had open discussions about this even before we were married. Like, I don't think I'm going to, I can't do this. What, what, why would I put a kid through this? I was mm -hmm. already sort of saying, even as good as I am now, mm -hmm. this is going to be the one thing that might tweak me and I might revert back into something that I'm not proud of. And at a certain point, you know, community at your back, wind at your sails, you get the confidence to say, we can, we can do this. Mm -hmm. And so we find out we're having our first child. My child is born May, 2020, beautiful Mateo. Um, and I'd, I'd gotten a lot of advice from people saying, Hey, this is your, you know, your child is going to change everything for you. They're going to be your North star. It's going to change how you work. It's going to change. I didn't buy that at all for me. I said like, I, I, this, you know, child is going to, to fit in within a context that already exists and I'll have my own relationship with that, but I don't expect it to sort of upend everything. And for the most part, it didn't. Like, I think for the first eight months while I was kind of wrapping up my role, cause I'd put a hard date on it. I said, I'm coming in for two years here for a good time, not a long time. Mm -hmm. And I want to hit it hard. And then I'm going to you know, finish up my PhD or do something else. And seeing this boy and how I responded to him, and how we responded to each other and this beautiful, especially during the pandemic, mm -hmm. it was just us, like viscerally just us. My wife being as family oriented as she has, can't even bring her family in. It's just us. And I had the utmost confidence that we would get through it, that we would figure out the routines, we would figure out our stuff and they were highs and there were lows, but I knew it and I said, you know what? Of all the things that could be on the horizon, because there were a lot of opportunities and calls and things that were coming my way, I did something that I probably think no one thought that I was gonna do and I said, I'm gonna take a year off. And I'm going to be with my son. And so it was during that point in time where I just, you think about like battery in my back. I'm a driven guy. I'm kind of Kobe-esque. I'm just going to shut it all down. And I did with this boy. And we would wake up every day and uh, I'd look over at him. Like, what do you want to do today? And like, it was literally like everything was the, was possible. Mm -hmm. And that perspective sort of framed to me like, Hey, what I do next is going to be impactful. It's not just going to be the next thing, mm -hmm. the bigger chair. Yep or more eyeballs, it's, it's gonna be impactful. I don't know what that is yet. But in the interim, let me enjoy this beautiful time with my son, and then I'm gonna wrap up my PhD and then we'll, we'll go. And so that lasted about eight months um, uh, till August 17th, uh, 2022, I guess it was. And we find out, it was my birthday actually, when I hate my birthday, um, find out through this press release that this team is coming. And so in the background of my mind, I see this press release that a team is moving to Calgary and all these diverse interests that I've had, which seemed messy, which did, seemed a little bit directionless, all of a sudden filtered again into one. The same thing with quitting the cigarettes, all of a sudden became one. I'm a huge advocate for sport. Uh, I sit on the board of Sport Calgary. I 
got broadcasting and media background experience, hugely involved in in art and fashion and 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 those kinds of aspects of the of that world of professional sports. Um, know our city's economy really, really well and how <laughs> film is taking off. Understatement. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how all these things are are sort of trending and being like, it has to be us. And not out of like indulgence and, and bravado, but just like, I know exactly what to do with it. And the us in this was my friend um, and now business partner. I just screenshotted that press release. What did the press release say? Was it the league was coming to yeah, Canada? It was. It was the the league had existed, yeah. and there was already sort of uh, um, uh, entering its fifth season. Okay. And so OVO um, and and uh, Drake and his friends had owned the Scarborough team. Mm-hmm. You'd had another independently owned uh, team in uh, Vancouver, uh, and then the others were kind of the MLS model league owned. Okay. And so it was being launched as a league owned team. Mm. And I just read that and it was just like the complete anathema to Calgary. Like that, how could you top down, bring this in? It has to be from the community and from trusted members of community. So screenshotted it. I texted my friend Usman and I said, are we doing this? And he said, yeah, that simple. Because again, it's that moment where mm. we both knew mm. um, everything that we would bring to this. And so we, you know, got in touch with the league. There were already interested parties that had been you know, playing the long game on this. They'd They'd run a... They'd, they'd run a test at Windsport actually in March where they brought an international tournament here just to see if it would work. And, yep. you know, for three days, they had like a thousand people there, which cool. was interesting to me. And I, it was one of those things in my NBA group, like we'd thought about going, but then had conflicts and didn't go. Yep. And I remember seeing the reports of being like, oh, a thousand people, it's not bad in rainy March, you know, mm-hmm. for a tournament that you've never heard of with teams you've never heard of. And so that was in the back of my mind. And then that sort of launched this very intense two months from August 17th to standing in front of the entire country, October 19th, launching the team. So there's no overlay. There's no existing professional sports business that we're overlaying onto. We have two months to earn the trust of the league, Mm -hmm. our partners um, uh, at the league, um, you know, stand up at least a skeleton infrastructure and then prepare for launch all in two months. And so it was intense um uh but but it was such a beautiful frenzied experience to bring that to calgary and then we're standing in front of the masses um october 19th announcing this team but like in the back of my mind even as we were doing it supremely confident that we knew what we were doing Mm. even though we'd never done it before Mm. because it wasn't basketball that we were selling it wasn't professional sports it was calgary we were just showcasing calgary that we know in our bones and that's probably why I stay as close to the street and community as possible. Because mm. if I lose that perspective, yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Crazy. Crazy. Um, what, like, <laughs> it's all super fresh, right? Like, yeah, this yeah. is, this is like. It just happened. Yeah. Like a few months ago. Yeah. 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 And to just to have the confidence or just like, you know, that, that, that moment where everything just becomes crystal clear, you just trust it. And, and, and then. I don't know. I don't like where do you even start to figure it out? Hey, the like, how do, how do you build a team? How do you pay for like all this? Yeah, like yeah. all of it. Yeah, I, I think, I think part of it was we knew Calgary, so we knew what it needed to look like for Calgary, how it needed to be positioned, what what contrast we needed to to mm-hmm. draw between us and other other groups in the city. But then, yeah, like you have to build an amazing team, and like, yeah, it's it's me sitting here with you today. But with me is like this amazing team, an amazing group of people, you know, few of which we brought over from the previous franchise uh, in Guelph, 
um, who are incredible, um, been with the league a long time, yep. knew how to fill in those gaps. You know, a couple people that we've brought on uh, that we had existing relationships with, and then and then folks that we we brought in new. But again, like every detail of that launch didn't have to be really spoken. So I called Andrew Fung and I said, you got to do the hype reel. Like, come on, buddy. And like as gracious and as thoughtful as he is, did the hype reel for us. I knew that certain things that other sports teams don't do. Like I knew what I didn't want. Like that's another huge mm. thing in my life is again, you go back to like, you know, I'm cognizant. I don't ask a lot of questions. It's because I watch a lot. Yeah. So I know what every other professional, you Google this. Back when I was a kid in that room, there's not there's only so many things you can do. So I had the home computer in my room. Mm. So I was just there for days and days researching and looking at things ever since I was a kid. Mm. So now Google, like you'd be surprised how many people use Google improperly. There's like advanced searches, like all these things that you can do. You know, I looked up a bunch of sports launches and in every single scenario, I saw two men behind a skirted table yes. wearing suits, holding up jerseys with their own name on it. I said, we can't have that. That's not us. It's not Calgary. Um, and ours, by contrast, was I remember like we're the day before launch. I said, so we're going to, you know, in the middle of the press conference, uh, after the sort of hype video is kind of played and the team logo is revealed, we're actually going to stop the press conference. And we're going to bring out these kids from Jack James High. And we're going to get them our swag. And all, like no one's ever seen this before. And the official photo that goes out is going to be us and these kids. And... I remember someone saying to me, like, you can't stop a press conference midway through. Like, the media will go. I said, they'll wait. And like, you don't understand. Like, take the picture after. Like, that'll be, they'll wait. And I remember, like, we played, like, got the DJ to play a song. And it was this beautiful moment where everyone just got, like, to take a pause. Like, they, we just announced the name, just announced mm -hmm. the logo and, and the colorways. And you see these kids that have never been to Winsport before, ever. Now in the part of a national launch of a professional sports team, and that was the photo that ran in the National mm -hmm. Post. That was the photo mm -hmm. that went everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's Calgary. And and Calgary, but right beside that, you know, community. Community. Which is like, that's what you do Synonymous. over and over and over and over. Right. Uh, and and that's and then we set values, right? Like that's, that's the mark. Mm -hmm. And so everything that we've done from then has been with those instincts in check. Because believe me, you know, Kobe has this uh, um, amazing quote. Uh, you know, he says, you know, when he's building out his, his team and he's seeing people practicing and maybe not practicing or whatever, he's like, listen, guys, you know, if if uh, if we don't win a championship, they're not going to come to you. They're going to come to me. So so we have this pressure test like I'm out in community so much. If we're not getting something right, we will know like I will hear it. And that's good. And I will hear it and I'll protect us from that. But then we got to reconcile that. And so far because we've kept our instincts at Calgary mm -hmm. and not so much on, Hey, a pro sports team has to do this or a pro sports team has to like, we haven't even like for the last few months had, you know, public pricing for season tickets. And I'm, you know, we're looking at a, like a venue that's already third sold out and cool. we don't even have tickets out. Mm -hmm. So all the rules that we've tried to undo, like we, we, we launched this thing called the home team tour where, you know, I, we talk about community, right? What's our brand? What's our tagline? And it, we talked about feeling like home. Home is this thing that cuts across every language. And, you know, very viscerally early in this conversation, I can talk about when home doesn't feel like home. Mm -hmm. But when home is at its purest, it's welcoming, it's inviting, inviting someone into your home. That's what we're kind of doing when we're inviting people to our games. And that means so many different things, but all good uh, to a lot of people. 
And so how do we become the home team for Calgary? And there's a Jay-Z like double entendre with sports there, but <laughs> with all of our, our brand, but we went to all four corners of the community when we launched after and went to an event at Genesis Center, went to a sold out girls tournament in, in the Southeast, uh, all across and said, hey, what are you guys doing that's cool with basketball? We'll come, we'll bring a DJ, we'll give out prizes. We'll... And we captured these visuals where I don't know that I've seen kids as pumped up for anything mm. just for watching their own local high school team, let alone what they're going to say for a professional team. So at its core, community is the brand. Yeah. We may package it in a very slick and mm -hmm. inviting and cool and double entendre way, but let's be clear, like as much as we're selling basketball, we're selling Calgary. And yeah. that's something I think we feel very comfortable doing. Dude, I um, <clears throat> that video that you put out the other day with uh, like all the high schools, yeah. you know, the very first shot of St. Mary's. Yep. And that's where I went. Get out. Yeah. So wow. you, can, you can imagine what that yeah, did to me, for right? You. Yeah. And I didn't play basketball. Like, but that, um, and I'm a marketing dude. Yep. So I'm watching what you're up to and I can like, you're, it's brilliant. Appreciate and, that. And, and I don't, it's such a unique way to go about it. And like you said, you haven't, you haven't released prices. You haven't released, like usually when somebody does something, the first thing they do is like, here's how much my thing is. It's a this and it costs this. Yeah. Right. This community approach, dude, it's gonna it's gonna be exhausting, <laughs> and just to get you know to to get through Calgary at that level is gonna be it'd be cool to watch. But it's it, it's it's crazy. And thank you. Like it's it's super intentional, right? And mm -hmm. and where's know, that? Where's it? Sorry. Go ahead. Where does that come from? Like I know I know I know it's everything. A lot of your choices are like community driven. Yeah. But to like start a pro team. Uh, as community driven and then actually to have all these ideas and follow through and actually do it yeah. is different. Yeah. I, well, first of all, I think nothing puts a battery in your back, like running out of runway for time. Like mm. we know that we're going to play a game on May 27th. So, <laughs> you know, everything, everything flows from that, right? Yeah. You, you know, give someone a deadline and mm. they're either going to meet it or they're not, or they're going to die trying. Right. So we're going to die trying. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's been helpful. I think the other thing too is like, because we felt so well positioned to do this, think about the time it also saves. Yeah. So I'm not in a marketing meeting yeah. um, for hours. I'm literally going to the freelancer and saying, you know, home team, we're going to four corners. You see it in the wings of, of the logo as well. These four corners, we're one of the few cities that quadrants ourselves out mm -hmm. with Northwest, Southwest, et cetera. So let's, let's unite that. Let's unite that like the logo. Let's play off of that. And, and so at the core of it, right? Like I'm a community guy. So I'm a community mm -hmm. organizer, community advocate. So that's the way I would look at it. Mm -hmm. the, the marketing stuff, the spe that's, that's, that's sprinkles. Yeah. So, so the ability to, to say, hey, that's what that needs to look like. There's no time for, for this. There's mm -hmm. no time for, for temperature testing. There's no time for market research. We're either going to get kicked in the teeth on this or we're not. And we're willing to get kicked in the teeth on it because we believe in this so much. Yeah. And I think people are at least resonating and giving us probably a little bit of goodwill to say, I see what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I see that, you know, we're, we're having this celebration with hundreds of people at the Genesis Center in Northeast. And not even to, to, to really do anything other than to just like, hey, our general managers in town, our senior advisors in town. And again, rather than hold some stuffy press conference mm -hmm. or some big sort of ticketed dinner, we're just going to go to the Genesis Center. Yeah. And we're going to get you know, face painters and kids. And, and cause we know there are hundreds of people just there in community anyways. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they're, 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 they're engaging with us, not even really knowing what this is. And I, I got to tell you, 
to give deference to, to this person. I probably had one conversation uh, with someone outside of my business partner as we were making the deal. And it was super instructive and he's a beautiful person, uh, one of my dearest friends. Marketing guy though, um, but community guy. Right in the wheelhouse that, that we're talking about. And he said to me, he's like, yeah, there's going to be some marketing things that you need to do. But he's just like, the, the way that I think about it is you're, you're filling the tank. Coffees, meetings, networks, all of these kinds of things for the next several months. And then you're going to get to a point where as you're doing this, you're going to know what it looks like, even implicitly, just through these conversations. Because you're going to have to talk to people, validate your case, and tell them what you're doing. And they're going to respond to it or they're not. And you'll augment. I know He's like, I know you. You're listening. So you're going to augment this thing as it goes along based on a success. And then you're just going to hit the gas. Mm. And I think we're a couple of weeks away now from cool. like pedal to the floor. Player signings that I'm signing privately are going to be public. Awesome. Um, head coach. Cool. Um, but but I think, again, I think if we look back at this season, and again, we're going we're gonna to ride or die on this approach. Yep. And again... You know, when we if, if if we don't win the championship literally or the championship of what we want to do more amorphously on with this team, I'll hear about it, right? Yep. Um, but I want to look back at the season and say we couldn't be easily pegged as a basketball team. Yeah, this was a city building project. Everything from the the, the title sponsor we have, Zeno. I stood. You know, an, another thing you talk about: how are you able to do this? There's a public accountability and trust that comes with this. So I'm very cognizant of the things I've said in public. Even not having the infrastructure in place yet, I know I need to meet that. So I said at the launch, I said, you know, what company names are people going to see staring back at them mm. when these games are broadcast on a major sports network th next year? Who's going to answer that call? Put that challenge out. And the phone sort of rang, but I already knew the three, only three calls I was going to make outbound, three to five calls. One of them was Kyan Gersh and Zeno. And I, I, I said... That name has to be Zeno. In your business, in this moment, at mm -hmm. this time, mm -hmm. with this overlay of trying to do something different. And, and let's not diagnose the significance of a clean energy company sponsoring in a major way, one of the largest deals in professional sports in the country, uh, this team. Um, let's just keep showing and proving and showing yeah. and proving. And that's been super exciting to like make that promise and then say promise kept, not as a tick box, mm -hmm. but as like, hey, we're doing something different here, for sure. Where does... um. This first year, like performance-wise, you know, if the team finishes X, like <clears> the <throat> pressure of—is there pressure to actually finish at a certain spot, or are you are you looking at this as like this is community build, and this is whatever the whatever the timeline is, you're gonna start attracting these amazing characters to the city that want right. to play ball here, and in X amount of time, you will be at that final game. Yeah. So let's be clear. I'm the most competitive so, guy. There's no so what are you going to look like? Sorry. What yeah. are you going to look like run, uh, during the game time? During game time. Uh, yeah, like yeah. if somebody, if somebody had a camera on you, yeah, which so, might, maybe I'll just come mess with you and just like hold it on. Yeah. yeah. But how are you going to, I'll give you a tease. Right. So, <laughs> so one of the things that I, I want to, to, to do at, at game time, this is very different for me. So I'm the guy that wants to be looking at, at everything going like right or wrong. Yeah. So I want to be circling and going back and yeah. looking from the broadcast booth to this, mm -hmm. to that. I'm sort of imposing some discipline on myself to, let's say, sit in a seat mm -hmm. and and watch every game. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, one of the goals we have is to bring out a great Calgarian um, to every one of those games. Cool. So the seats that I have are very visible near the scorer's table, yep. primarily to bring someone out. So 
even if I'm like sort of just palms are sweaty, I can't. You're gonna be like cucumber. Just just, yeah, like there's like like and and even if something doesn't go quite as right, like I have to keep the poker face. No yeah, yeah, no reaction. Uh, because like, what am I gonna do? Like, get up and say, hey, I gotta fix this. Like, let's no. Um, so part of that is the trust that I have implicitly in the team that like we'll navigate all this. And I think yeah. again, like. You know, I go back to that Genesis Center event. Yes, we're going to do a premier sports and entertainment experience, but some things are going to be messy in the most beautiful ways. Mm. So let's allow them to. Like we're doing this for community. It's done by community. We're trying to elevate that experience. We've done that so far with how we've approached our merch and all these other kinds of things in a way that I don't think Calgary's kind of seen before, at least not yep. in recent memory, where yep. it's kind of cool and restrained and not goofy. And it's, oh, that's clearly a basketball team type of thing. Mm -hmm. So... I'm gonna have to ride that out uh, from a competition perspective. Look, I, I can't go into it and say like, "Hey, we 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 got to win a chip yep. in in the first year." Um, but that being said, I'm a pragmatist, right? So I'm looking at the information as it comes in and making the best possible decision. So we've we've hired the right general manager, we've hired the right basketball operations staff. Mm. I've given them, I think, I think the appropriate direction yep. to go out and build an exciting and fun team. Um, I think we've got the the right head coach for that, who who believes both in the pressure to win short term, but also the we're building a foundation here. Yeah. Um, and I just want to look back on the season and be proud that with those available opportunities, we made the most of them. Mm. And if that shows in the 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 record or um, uh, in the playoffs, et cetera, so be it. If it doesn't, it, believe me, we'll have that first meeting that next day. And go through every single reason why to mm. be able to come and get it next year. It'll be relentless. So I'm not as concerned about that. But in the first year, I think the three things that that we look at are number one, can people look back at this and say that this was kind of unique? I think it's important. Which? Like 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 this whole season, like that was different. Which it's start it's it's started off that way. Right. And 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 we could get really basketball-y really soon. So I want to protect that as well, mm. right? Like I want to see during the season, I still want music, like artists to appear yeah. on our grid. Yeah. I still want these amazing pop-up collaborations mm. or things that are happening in community. I don't want to lose that because we've become a basketball team because we're in the season. Yeah. Uh, I want to continue the year-roundness of that. So that's number one. I, I, I want that to be unique for better or for worse. Two, I, I think we have to look at that on the court sort of perspective to say, hey, did we surpass expectations, meet expectations, fall short? Let's calibrate that. And then the third is just on the business side. Like this is a business, right? And mm. and I think from all the things that we're trending now, I think we've hit it correctly. Um, you know, with yeah, I don't want to flex on, on some of the other teams <laughs> in, our, in, our, in our in our in our in our league, right? Because we're also competitive from that perspective. But yeah. I think we're blown away. Like this is not a this is not just a uniquely Calgary success in this early stage. This is like a CEBL league leading success perspective, cool. and uh, we're super. Proud of that and, and and super encouraged by how much the other ownership groups and other businesses and and teams feel about what we're doing in, in Calgary. And so we're we're standing on their shoulders. They've grinded it out for four years yep. to put us in a position to do this. But now it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense if we're not going to take it further. Yep. So I'm I'm thrilled about that. So cool, man. It's crazy. Um <laughs> just like all of it. Before so, you know, before you we got on camera and started talking, we were talking about Gersh. Yeah. And the one word that came out of my mouth was special dude. Yeah. After this conversation, man, you're right there. This has been oh. a, this is like the your willingness to share how reflective you are, your experiences is special, man. Just your perspective on Calgary is like, listen, I'm born and raised here, so this is like this is my place. Right. You've you're playing at a totally different level, and it doesn't matter how long you've been here, but it's like 
it's going to be cool to watch. I'd like, when I figured out who you are and what you were, what were you, what you were up to, I was like, man, there's a lot of things happening. So <laughs> I, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this. Like, no, this platform is, is incredible. And, I, and I'll be honest too, like I've been reticent about sharing my story and I've only kind of done it in drips and drabs. And there's this Herald profile that went out where I first started to talk about some of these challenges, but to be able to, to, to do it in a little bit more depth um, and with someone as, as sort of gracious as you to allow that space was, is, is super special. And so I appreciate you. Yeah, man, this has been, uh, this is, this has been one of those, uh, and I knew it was, I, I said it before you're like, well, I don't want to disappoint you. I was like, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, I, I, I end the show with one question. When I say Calgary, where's your head go? Wow. You know, I've listened to the pod a couple times and as much as you can get prepared for that question, you don't, you can't. And so very viscerally, my mind goes to two places. One at its most emotive, which is probably the first reaction I have whenever I hear something. When I think of Calgary, I think of these, again, moments. I think about um, my uh, son being born at Foothills Hospital. I think about marrying my wife with two friends at Jerry Shaw Memorial Garden off Elbow Drive. I think about, especially through our family lens, right? Like when we think about family, sometimes when you say my family, you sometimes look back like to your hometown in the context of a city. The family context that I have is here, viscerally by choice in this city. And so every time I think of Calgary, my emotions go to, okay, my son was born in Calgary. Like that's a very unique thing. Um, you know, yourself not in, like included as well in that. Um, and you know how rare that is to be born and raised here. So to know that this new generation is coming here, born in Calgary, and just the things that have anchored this experience for the first three years of his life, I think of the zoo. I think of the library. I think of all of these little moments I've had with this boy and with our family in this city. So those first things, is, it's, it's inarticulable. I, 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 I just see these flashes of this city and my family and just think, my goodness, we've caught the brass ring. Um, not just from a Canada perspective, but uniquely this city. I'm so proud um, to, to be raising my family here. And then the other part of it is the, the intellectual part. The moment you talk to me about Calgary, my mind goes in a million different directions just because of all the things I'm involved in. And I stop myself. We're getting to a point in the city, and we have been for this last few years, where we're diagnosing a lot. What is the future of Calgary? What is Calgary's brand? What mm. is Calgary's this? What is Calgary's that? Calgary, you know, justified in relation to some other city. Calgary in relation to this. Stop. I, I, and I'm, I've been involved in those conversations. Build something. Do something. Go give back to this community. Don't worry about how it filters up. Don't worry about how it compares. There are certain people whose jobs it is to do that. But I think for us, Start something, build something, get engaged, get involved. I've I've sort of put Calgary in that perspective so that every time I sort of think about, well, Calgary, where are we trending? To I stop myself mm. and I just say, put someone else in a position to do something. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep amplifying stories because those are the stories that will matter. Those are the more of the things that will speak to our brand or our city or our direction than any of the other strategies or things that we could concoct. So very simply that emotive, visceral moments with my family in this city and then stopping myself from this kind of analysis paralysis of where we're going mm -hmm. and just being. That's what I think of when I think of Calgary. 
That's a good way to end it. <laughs> you just like, you just keep like cranking this thing <laughs> up. So, uh, yeah, man, I really appreciate this. No, thanks, Jeff. And the, uh, the cool thing is now I just get to like watch you build this monster, whatever it's going to turn into. And, and to catch up with you at this point is, it's cool for me. Oh, it's amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. 